You're listening to the Nick Amp Podcast, a podcast that dives into the lives and stories of creatives, entrepreneurs, and outdoor enthusiasts. My name is Nick Amp, and I'm a filmmaker and photographer best known for documenting stories in the mountains. We sit down with guests to uncover where they pull inspiration from, dig into their experiences in the outdoor industry, and find a ton of actionable inspiration from their adventures in life. All right, this is episode number 14 on the Nick Ant Podcast Show. Our guest today has been known by many names, some at known as the Golden Retriever Energy, chasing sunsets, sunrises. He's rappelling down into the depths of the Utah canyons, taking epic photos on the mountains, making everyone he takes photos of, including himself, look like the main character, hiking up mountains at midnight just to see the sunrise. Who does that? I do. Got a, I caught 100 sunrises last year, so that's why I like this guy. He also visits a ton of national parks. His Instagram handle is TD Cameraman. I think for about two years, I thought it was TD Cameron. Until like just recently, I found out it was TD Cameraman. So without further ado, the face behind TD Cameraman, Taylor Dalton. Glad to have you on, man. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So Taylor, just starting off from the beginning... When did you pick up your first camera? I don't I think I remember hearing that it was a GoPro. I feel like a lot of photographers start out with a GoPro. What was that like going that route first? Yeah. Yeah, you're close. It has to do with a GoPro. So I went on this camping trip with a buddy of mine that was like when we were growing up, he was always making like GoPro videos, you know, like he's big into mountain biking and all that kind of stuff. So he took a picture of the stars with his GoPro and I was blown away by that. I thought it was so cool and I'm a huge fan of the stars. <laughs> so really that is what inspired me to buy my first camera, which was a Nikon D3400. So I went and bought it like the following Black Friday, I think, because I wanted a deal on it. And You're... that's really all I wanted it for was to take a picture of the stars. Opposite, man. That's Nikon goes the other way. <laughs> You're a Sony user now, right? <laughs> I am, yeah. Well, yep. you... I switched over to Sony three years ago or something like that. So you grew up going in the mountains, backpacking with your parents. How much of an impact, man, did that have on your life today? Huge impact. I mean, like that was a really, really large portion of my childhood. Childhood was going on like... I mean, I went on my first backpacking trip with my parents when I was like six years old. And... I mean, really, the reason for that is because I'm the youngest child. I've got four siblings. They're all quite a bit older than I am. So it was like just the family activity was to go camping and backpacking. So I just got to tag along from a very young age and definitely had a huge influence on me and kind of the things that would uh, I'd become passionate about later on in life. Dude, so going out at that young of an age, at any time, were you like scared? Because I mean... You're just a child at that point, or you just didn't know better. <laughs> this was all fun. Yeah, I think I think it's a little combination of both. It was just like fun, and I've kind of always had that attitude in the outdoors. Like I know that there's a lot of there's a lot of things in the outdoors that are intimidating, and it can be dangerous for sure. But I've always just had like a no worries kind of attitude about it. And so yeah, and I was always like with my parents, especially when I was growing up. So my dad's been an outdoorsman forever so i always felt comfortable with him too so that exposure to the outdoors truly helped you with canyoneering probably 
And for some of us who have never been canyoneering, rappelling before, how does somebody get into that? What do they got to know? What do they got to get? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it kind of depends. Like if you're, if you're like wanting to pick it up as like a serious hobby, my suggestion would be to find people that you can go with. I mean, look on Instagram, look for people that are taking photos in slot canyons. Most of the time they're going to have some experience. You can look on Facebook for groups um, that do it. Especially if you come to Utah, I guarantee you, you can find some people pretty easy. If you just want like to go canyoneering once and experience a canyon, kind of get a little taste of it before you do that, I'd recommend going to like somewhere like Zion National Park. There's a ton of canyoneering there and just go with like a, a kind of like a guided canyoneering group. That's a good way to get a little taste of it before you get fully involved, I'd say. Yeah, I've seen a couple of videos where you go with people and I think the one that sticks out to me the most was probably in Zion and then the one when you were going down the waterfall. Can you share what your favorite canyoning yeah. or repelling experience was? Oh, that's, um, <laughs> I would say my favorite, like, I guess it doesn't really count as canyoning, but my favorite repelling experience is repelling uh, a waterfall here in, in Utah called Bridalville Fall. It's two, uh, I think it's like 270 feet each repels. So it's pretty, it's a long, lengthy repel. Yeah. Um, and you're in a waterfall the whole time, just getting pounded by water. So it's a little more um, adrenaline inducing than just normal repelling, even though for a lot of people that's enough. But uh, yeah, getting in a waterfall and it's pretty exciting stuff. It's cold a lot of the time. I want to do it this year, but the water's going to be freezing because we've had so much snow. So that, that stuff is going to be chilly, but it's really fun. Right. Us too. We got a bunch of snow. You actually inspired me since seeing that waterfall repel. There's a waterfall in my national mm -hmm. forest and looks just like Brotherville, but same thing. You can like, it's kind of like a wall. You can go down for people who want to repel cool. off waterfalls. What are some tips there? I mean, the water is red, makes the rock slippery. How do we navigate through those types of things? Big, yeah. Big thing I think there is to uh, find someone that's experienced and that's probably done it before especially if you're if you're going somewhere new you probably want to find someone that's done that specific repel before that's always you're going to be your best and safest option um besides that it's important to have a uh like self-breaking device so a lot of people will use what's called a prusik knot it'll auto block you when you're under repel just in case your hand comes off of your your brake side of your rope you don't want to you don't want to fall because sometimes you get shocked by the cold water and your hand will yeah. let go and oh. you want something that's going to catch you. So that's important. Um, I would definitely use a, a pressing knot to keep you from from potentially falling if you if you get shocked by the cold water. So quick side question or has to do with it. You grew up with going in the outdoors. Are you, You're not afraid of heights, are you? You know what? That's funny. I used to be. I used to be terrified of them. It was like one of my biggest fears. Um I think photography itself helped me out a little bit because I was always like starting to pose on like cliff edges because it just looks epic, you know? And yeah. so I was like overcoming the fear to like make an epic photo. Um, but then I actually, I didn't even start like repelling and canyoneering until about a year and a half ago. It was the first time I went and I had avoided it a lot because I was like, I thought I was scared of heights. 
Um, but then I did it once and I realized that repelling, honestly, the mechanics of it is pretty simple and pretty easy. Like, yes, it's important to, to practice and do it the same every time and make sure you're doing things correctly. But overall, it's a pretty, pretty simple mechanic to, to lower yourself down a wall on a rope. Um, and so once I, once I did it once, I was just like, that was a lot more fun than I thought it was going to be. And I wasn't scared at all. It's like, once I'm like in the rope, I feel very comfortable and safe. So that just really kind of kicked off a new addiction in the outdoors for me. That's incredible. Thanks for sharing that. If you guys don't know about his posts, go check out his Instagram right now. Well, at the end, if you want to, he posts awesome canyoneering, rappelling down the side of the wall. It's epic. And last year, actually, he spent some time in Jackson Hole Valley photographing on the Snake River. What was that experience like, Taylor? What was? Tell me the good, tell me the bad. How'd it go? Okay. Okay. The first, the first thing, like maybe my, I guess my regret about the summer. It's not even a regret about that summer. It's just, I wish I would have done a seasonal job sooner in my life. Like I was, I was 23 last summer. I wish I would have done it when I was like 18, right out of high school. It would have been so much fun. There's just so many cool people up there during the summer. You make friends super easily because everybody's like kind of the same uh, genre of people I guess they all have the same interests pretty much uh, loving the outdoors and stuff um, so that was awesome I got to make friends just really fast and some really good friends that I still talk to today um, the other aspects of it like the job itself was it took a lot of time it was I was working around 11 hour days on the river because I'm out there all day, pretty much every day, taking photos of every boat that comes down the snake river. And that's in busy season. So that's like maybe a total of like 30 days out of my summer or about that long. It gets shorter the earlier and the later you are in the summer. Um, but it, it can be, it can get repetitive just because you're doing this, you're doing the same thing every day. You're taking the same like 10 to 15 photos of every boat because you're just standing next to the same rapid so it's it looks the same <laughs> but it is really fun to get a hold of the camera in your hand and you have the prettiest office on the face of the planet pretty much because you're just sitting on the snake river and it's awesome so outside of the job did you ever find yourself getting lonely being out there all by yourself yeah um well and just in jackson hole in general like living in a van pretty easy to get a lot of alone time <laughs> uh, especially because you're near some like really cool backcountry places that there's just not a lot of people in um, but on the other hand like I mentioned before it's super easy to make friends in Jackson Hole and just because everybody's interested in the same thing so I'd be like hiking in the park and I meet someone that works at the Jenny Lake Lodge or something and then we would uh -huh. like play volleyball together or something later that week and just become friends uh, so that, that aspect is, is awesome. It's really easy to find friends if you want to, but also if you're trying to get some alone time, not hard at all. Just go on a hike up into the mountains. Sunrise is a great time. There's nobody up there. You get your, you get your fill of solitude. <laughs> Speaking of mountains, when I went last summer, barely missed paths. And then I tried yeah. an attempt at the middle Teton, 
but at that time I had not been doing my cardio, or at least I was not in good shape enough to <laughs> make it to the top. I made it to the saddle, but by that time it was about sunset, so I didn't feel like hiking back in the dark. And I saw your post maybe yeah. like maybe like a month later that you hiked at a sunrise. What time did you start, man? <laughs> how did you get the courage to yeah, hike that in was... grizzly country? Oh man. That was uh I might have overstepped a little bit with that decision. <laughs> um, I've I've told this story a few times, but I I was actually the reason I wanted to hike up there is because I was doing a, a filming an ad for Columbia, which I had landed, which was awesome. Uh kind of a dream come true for me. But that was like my last day to shoot it before I had to like go back and be at work for like the next several days. And so I was just like, man, it, it would be really cool at sunrise. Like some of my friends that did it earlier in the summer, they told me about it and that it was, it was pretty difficult, but I don't shy away from difficult hikes typically. But this one, when I say difficult, it is difficult. It is strenuous, um, mostly because a lot of the hike is over just straight up boulder fields. And yeah, you're route finding a lot. And I had never done it before. And keep in mind, I'm doing it in the dark. I started at 1 a.m. Uh, sunrise was at about uh, 6.30 at that point, I think. And so I I made it up. And most people, I think they say it takes them about seven hours. I started late. I wanted to start at like midnight or 11.30, but I started late. And so I was, I was booking it up that mountain. And uh, I made it to the top like 10 minutes before sunrise. Uh, but very exhausted and it wore me out a lot. So I remember that hike. The first two and a half miles right before the boulders, it's not too bad. You can do that pretty quickly. Yeah, but then not once bad you at get, all. Once you get to the boulders, uh -huh. you start going over those. And then you had to cross over the ice fields a little bit. Did you have spikes that early in the morning or were you just barefoot in that thing? I didn't. It was late enough in the summer that I didn't oh. really have to cross too much too much of that i think there was like one spot where i did but for oh. the most part it was pretty simple and i had i had good like grippy boots on uh but yeah yeah i mean dude you had the grand teeth right behind you staring at you in the eye <laughs> how awesome was that man <laughs> that was and that's just a view of the grand teton that you don't see like typically you just can't because it's like you're viewing it from like a side profile being on top of the range and you just don't get that view ever. So it, it looks almost like alien-like from the top of the Middle Teton. It's crazy. It looks so cool. Would you ever consider summoning the Grand Teat? Oh yeah, absolutely. I've actually had a few people tell me, and I don't know, I don't know how true this is. I haven't done the Grand Teton, so I can't say this for myself, but I've heard people say that it is more technical than the Middle Teton, but it's easier oh, yeah. physically wise. Sure. Um, just because... I th I think I think if I remember correctly, the Middle Teton hike is six miles up, um, to in the last four miles, and it's six thousand feet of elevation gain. The last four miles, you're or the last two miles, excuse me, you're doing four thousand feet of yeah, gain. Yeah, I, re I remember the first that. Four, you do two, you do two thousand. So it's like it's just like a flip flop from like pretty casual to like yeah. straight up and over boulders. Uh, so that's difficult. But yeah, I would definitely be interested in doing the Grand Teton. I would love to accomplish that at some point in my life. Maybe this summer. Who knows? Heck yeah, man. That's been on my goal for I don't know how or how long. 
I was like, at that point, I knew I couldn't do the Grand Teton because I didn't have the gear to do it. So I was like, all right, I'll settle for the Middle Teton, which is still so cool. Yeah. But I hope you get to do mm-hmm. it, man. So you had a ton of Thank people you. visit you in Wyoming this last summer. And must have been awesome <laughs> to share these beautiful places with all these people. Did It must have been like experience it all over again because you were able to share with these people. What was it like being able to show your home for the summer with all your friends from Utah, for example? Yeah, that's like, I mean, I think that's one of my favorite aspects of my life, I guess. And like, oh, I've I've seen so many cool places. And when I get to show like someone that's has a closer relationship with me, or even not, like even if I, I've never met them before, it's so cool to show someone something so spectacular for their first time because you kind of get relive that experience through them, which I think is awesome and fascinating uh, and just a, a fantastic experience. So yeah, that was a wonderful part of living in Jackson Hole. So I had tons of people that, and it's a destination too. So like tons of people are coming there anyway and I get to meet up with them on occasion and show them maybe a new spot that they hadn't seen before or whatnot and it was awesome. Yeah, man, and you had the perspective of being there, so you were able to find the more low-key spots that are less foot traffic, which is pretty cool. And for photography, man, yeah. that is just pristine for you because you're able to find those perfect compositions. So why mm-hmm. are you, though, so passionate about photography? What is the driving factor behind that? I think I just like to create things that make people's jaw drop. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> at the end of the day, I love I love being able to like make something that people are just like, that is so epic, that's so cool. And then the other side of that is I I love to be able to make people feel like that main character in a photo. Like that's such a cool thing to be able to do is make someone just like the focal point of a trip to somewhere or a view or whatever and it's gonna like every time they look at their picture they're gonna remember everything that happened on the trip because it just it correlates like the visual to the memories in our mind which i think is fascinating and really cool one of my favorite reels from you was the ones when you show for your friends it's like a flash of all the all the, the, the photos you have of your friends and it's just like these are the photos i take of my friends and otherwise they those photos yeah. might not have been captured if you didn't do it so as myself being a photographer, I don't really yeah. hang out with that many photographers out here. So I would be amazing if someone just was like, here, here are these three cool shots that I took of you. So I could imagine how <laughs> yeah. that feeling was. I mean, I've been the guy sending those photos of people. So that's super awesome, man. To dive a little deeper just in this subject, what type of photography are you most passionate about like outdoors, action, cars, repelling, anything like that? I, yeah, I kind of, I think I'm a little bit of a, a, a phase guy. I go through phases where I'm obsessed with one particular kind at a time. But overall, throughout my photography experience, the most like regular, consistent one that I've always loved is the it's the type of it's in the outdoors like adventure and it's where there's a really small person and it's just showing how massive the landscape is showing like a really cool scale um 
to an image with a tiny little person and how kind of awe-inspiring the landscape is around them. I love those kind of photos. I think they're they're really cool to look at. And you know, man, people don't realize how much work some of those photos take to set up because sometimes you're running like a hundred yards away from the camera. What <laughs> yeah. could you could you could you share an experience that was like the most craziest you set up, bro? Um, I think let's see. I've got a number of them, but yeah, I've I've done that a lot where I'll set up my camera on a tripod and I'll run like I think the farthest I've ever done is like a four tenths of a mile. Um and I was shooting with like a two to six hundred millimeter lens, two hundred to six hundred millimeter lens. Uh so I would actually appear in the photo. Otherwise if I'm shooting with wide angle, you're not gonna see me. But um that one I was doing in Utah, right behind Mount Timpanogos over near, uh, it's called Heber City. And I lined my tripod and camera up with this hill that's in front or in between me and Mount Timpanogos. And I was there at sunrise. I was trying to get me on the, on this hill with this rock jutting up, uh, in, in between the camera and Timpanogos in the background with the Alpen glow on it. So the hard part about that one was it was going to take me so long to run over there that I had to time it just right. So like as soon as I saw the sun, like just barely kiss the top oh. of the mountain, I pressed the button and I like sprinted as hard as I could. And I set my, I think for that one, usually I set my camera to take like 15 to 20 photos. I think that one I did like 200 cause I did not want to miss it. And so I, I was been. up there walking around on that rock forever. And it was a cool photo. Although funnily enough, it's not like, not one of my favorites, but it's one I put a ton of work into. Dude, so I remember another shot that you set up. It was at the Grand Teat. How far away did you have to run for that one when your friend's two to six was on? Yeah, that one, probably about a uh, just over a quarter mile, I would say. wasn't wasn't quite as far, but it was it was a pretty large distance. That one I do love. I love that photo so much. I think it's awesome. I. Sometimes I reference that photo to like show other people like, see, this is the photo like of the green tea. Like this is what I show when I'm talking about Tetons. This is how epic this place is. Oh, that's so, awesome. Kudos to I you, man, for that. taking that epic photo. So let's get real, Thank real you. quick. College dropout to college dropout. What made you decide to drop out of college to pursue <laughs> photography? Uh, yeah, that's a, a great question. Um, Really, at the end of the day, I was studying digital marketing, which, you know, is really not that far off from not what I do off. now as a job. Like, I'm creating digital assets for use in commercial, like, social medias and websites and stuff. So right. it's really not that not that far of a jump um, as far as subject-wise goes. Uh, and the reason that I, I dropped out was because I was in college, I was studying digital marketing, but I was also, this was when I had started to make money off photography, like on the side and started to do more freelance work. And it was like, I was learning more in practice than I was learning in the classroom. Uh, and then this was also like the right when COVID happened and then all classes went online and I've never been good at online classes. I'm terrible. I just, I can't sit still for the most part. Uh, so I was like, there's no way I'm going to do that. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna quit and I'm gonna make it work. I'm gonna try to do photography full time. 
And so I did. And I had to work like random miscellaneous jobs for like the next year and a half or so. And but finally I made it work and I've got like a really good job now. So it worked out. Man, that's awesome. Now I we dropped out around the same time online things happened. I finished my year of online school, got admitted into the university and I said, I'm not putting my savings into this. <laughs> but yeah. yep. I, I get your point. I worked in marketing though. I ended up working at an agency for a while and I became the head of marketing. So it makes completely sense for photographers and digital marketing just to intertwine. So for you, yeah, Taylor Dalton, how did you break into the photography industry and how can others learn from what you did? Um, I think there's a few different aspects to it. Uh, one is that I just started shooting for everybody I could think of. And I and the path that I went on was I was trying to do freelance work for gear companies and, and people that I liked their, their gear. Like Columbia was from the very beginning like a dream company to work with for me. And that's like where I was kind of aiming for. Um, and so I would just, I would go out with products that I already had or gear that I already had, like my Osprey backpack or whatever. And I would go shoot those things and do like a set um, of the, of that product and then I would add it to my portfolio and then I started reaching out to companies and initially I would just trying to get trade work so I would be like hey I'm kind of a beginner freelance photographer I'm really trying to build my portfolio and build my experience in the industry creating some really cool content for brands would you be willing to send me some of your product in exchange for me returning assets or like photos or video sometimes uh later on i got more into video and i do more of that now but at the beginning it was mainly just photo and then after i did that for a while i built up a portfolio and then i started to reach out for brand to brands and ask them to get paid for it um and it works every once in a while it was hit or miss it will be when you start uh one of the things that's really helped me and this isn't necessarily the only way to go but i've had a pretty good amount of success on social media, at least in my eyes. Um, it's really helped me get some bigger brand deals and helped me get noticed. When you have a bigger audience, it's just easier to get noticed. Uh, so that's helped me a lot in that aspect. Not to say that you can't do freelance work without having a big Instagram. You can, you can do it with just a small one. I know plenty of people that do, and they are phenomenal at it. Um, but it can be a way to help you get noticed. So much to digest right here. First of all, love that you were humble enough to ask for trade work and not be too greedy and be self-aware that, yeah, I'm a beginner and I need to build my portfolio. Some people yes. are like, no, I need to get paid right now when maybe their work isn't up to par to get paid. Yeah, And that's okay. I mean, if you are not good enough yet, it's okay to build a portfolio. You don't even have to ask them yeah. to you trade. You can just take yeah. out a product yourself and do spec work. But to digest mm -hmm. into social media and reaching out to people, first of all, having that big audience is kind of like a network, person-to-person -person network. They It's like street cred to these brands. But for you, were you ever nervous yeah. to reach out to these companies to do work for them or was that never a problem selling yourself? Cause I feel like some people have a little bit of that fear. 
Oh yeah, at the beginning, absolutely. I mean, still, I struggle with that like kind of imposter syndrome thing. Like, am I really good enough to like reach out to this huge company that I want to work with? Um, but it's you just have to constantly reassure yourself that listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to work with this company and I'm gonna do the absolute best that I can. And if you always do that, you're gonna improve and you're gonna deliver stuff that hopefully they like. And if they don't, then you'll take that criticism and learn from it and just keep growing. That's awesome, man. So if you guys heard that, got to sell yourself. So to move on, you talked about how you work for this great company. You have a great job. I did a little bit of background research on them. Canvas Cutter looks like an amazing company. So what does your day-to-day look like working for them? Um, So it's interesting. We're kind of a a bit of a small company. Uh, We make canvas outdoor gear is at the basis of it what we do we make canvas bed rolls which are basically like a one-man kind of tent situation uh we make canvas duffel bags Um, we're getting into making tents and a lot of more western gear this year so we make saddle bags and western tack kind of stuff we're getting into Uh, but my job for them is i am basically over all of the media production. So I produce any videos that we need in ads or on YouTube or uh, on Instagram or Facebook or wherever we're putting up stuff. Then I also create all the lifestyle photos that we need or any studio product photos. Basically, I'm just over any kind of image or video I create for them uh, to use in marketing. That sounds like a fun job, man. Do they know it you live fun. in a do they know you live in a van? <laughs> they do know. My so I have two I have two bosses at work. They're the owners of the company. And in my interview actually with them, it was over the phone, much like we're doing right now. And uh I was sitting in my driver's seat in my van and I was like, first off, I just want you to know I do live in a van. Like so I'm I'm just like mobile. I don't really have a home base. I just move around. And they're like, That's awesome. We love that. Um so they're very supportive of me doing that. They love that I can go out and it's hugely advantageous for them too, because I can take our products out when I go on trips and I'm just, I'm just working for them and getting more stuff for our company. So it's, it's it helps them a lot too. Yeah. I get the diversity of photos and videos. So yeah. would you consider this like remote work? Do you have to go into the office as well? Uh, yeah, I'd consider it like hybrid. I do have to go into our our office and shoot like studio photos or lots of times we'll be shooting like just random like reels that we want to post on Instagram or whatever. So I do go, I do go into an office um, a lot, but I also work remotely as well. So not too long ago, we almost met up when you were traveling with your company and they host this screening for these people called Bronx and Donks, big YouTube channel. Yep. Why is your company hosting with this channel and what's it like you traveling for these screenings yeah great question uh Bronx and dogs is as you said a very large youtube platform i think they're at like four hundred and thirty thousand subscribers or something like that uh it's a group of cowboys basically that just share youtube videos about like living ranch life essentially herding cattle going to catch Mustangs. Um, so what we did with them is we're partnered with them. They're one of our ambassadors because they use our bedrolls 
in their videos. Um, and then we also work together to make a new product, which is called our Brumby bag. And it's, it's a, a cantle bag. It's called in the Western world. It's, uh, basically a, like a sack that sits on the back of your saddle that you can put water bottle sandwiches, yeah. jacket in. It's like a backpack for a horse basically. Yeah. Um, and so we filmed them and made this movie about them riding from the northern border of Utah all the way down to the southern border, which is about 600 miles in 30 days on nine green mules. And green mules are basically, they haven't ever been like tested or proven on a trail yet. So they were not really fully broken in. Uh, so it was kind of a, a wild ride, but we made a movie about it. And then we've been doing a tour across a lot of the Western United States and doing screenings for his platform and basically people to come come watch the movie because they're fans of him, the guy that runs Bronx and Dogs. Last question about this. Are you capturing media for all this when you go on these screenings? Yeah, so uh, the reason I'm there is I'm filming and making uh, like vlogs about us going out there. And really the reason I started to do it is because we are making a documentary about like going on the movie tour. So it's like we're making a documentary about a documentary, which is kind of a weird trip, but uh, that's what I've been on those trips for. Bro, such a dream job. Glad you guys, you're having a great time doing that. Thank you. So for photography, I mean, it does a lot of things for a lot of people, good, bad. What's one thing that it's done for you that you didn't expect? That's a big question. Um, I think I, I, I don't think I ever would have lived in a van if it wasn't for photography and like photography also just expanded my love of the outdoors even more than it already was as a kid. Um, just because it's 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 so like hand in hand, me being in the outdoors and be able to capture that and share it. Um, so that's that's something that I never expected was I never expected to be like the the adventure guy in like my friend group or whatever. Um, and now I kind of am. So that's cool. Great answer. You live in a van, man. The Astro <laughs> van. The Astro what has van. been the biggest challenge of living in that van? Um. You know, honestly, it's it's in the winter. It's like kind of hard to maintain friendships when you live in a van a little bit, especially when you're su- when you're super mobile and going places all the right. time, like I do. It's hard to to like keep a consistent friendship with people just because you're you're like never around. And so i I would say right now I have like maybe two or three consistent friends where I used to be like super extroverted and I had a big friend group and. I talk to people all the time, I'd be hanging out like every night, but now I just I don't do that anymore. Man, that hits home. I have been thinking about doing band life for I don't know for how many years now. And the one thing I always think about is I'm leaving so much behind. I know it can always go back, but then all those friendships you've made, all things like that, but you know, I know it's cheesy, but we are only young ones and we can only see these places <laughs> That's like right. at for such a short amount of time. So for you living in a van, you're able to see these cool places. Other than maintaining friendships, I mean living in a you live in an astro van, so it's yeah. a tight space. 
Yeah. And in the winters, how are you keeping warm, dude? Yeah, I like to tell people that I live the extreme low of van life. I'm not like yeah. I'm not in a I'm not in a hundred and eighty thousand dollar sprinter van. I'm in a thousand dollar astro van. It's very different. Uh about staying warm, I really just have it's staying warm like while you're sleeping is easy. The hard part is getting out of bed in the morning when it's really cold. Uh but honestly, I just kind of grit my teeth through it. I don't have a heater in there. I mean, I have when I turn on the Astro Van, I've got heat. But besides that, I just have a really warm sleeping bag, basically. And I man up, I guess. <laughs> Good. I'm so glad you got that. My, my version of van life is not for everyone. I know that. I wouldn't. I honestly wouldn't recommend it to a ton of people. I think if you've got a really nice Sprinter Van, it's, it's kind of nice and a little bit luxurious almost. But oh, if, yeah. you're, if you're in a if you're in a Jeep van like me, you gotta kinda make some sacrifices to get all the cool aspects of seeing lots of cool places and stuff like that. Well, sometimes I don't show this aspect of when I'm on the road. I sleep in my Honda Civic. I put the back seat down. <laughs> yeah, and I literally leave yeah. diagonal, man. <laughs> so I mean I'm living low <laughs> the low car camping yeah. style. Yeah, I feel that. I know that I have my have my warm sleeping bag. I literally don't care. I've slept through literal literal blizzards yep. in the Sierra Nevada mountains, but I don't even care because it's for me it's <laughs> worth it to be at these cool places. Yeah. So for you, you've been living in a van for almost a year now. Yeah, getting what's, pretty close. What's next for Taylor Dalton in the van life? I heard you're trying to sell the van to get a truck. Man. Are you planning on being on the road for many years to come or settling down soon hybrid style yeah i'm still i'm still planning on uh at least for probably the next year maybe two depending on what happens but i'm working on buying a truck right now that has a shell on it and i'll convert the bed to live out of which will be a smaller space um but honestly i'm not i'm not inside of my van a lot i sleep there but i'm not in it super often I usually work in coffee shops or at my office. Uh, so it's really not that difficult. It just gives me a place to sleep. And also I don't have to pay rent, which is nice. <laughs> um, so that's my next move is to to be in a truck. And the reason I'm doing that change is just I want something that's a little more capable to get me to more off-the-grid places. That brings me to my next question. I mean, you're a photographer, so a lot of the work you do is on the computer, whether it's video editing, photo editing. Yeah. Working coffee shops, do you find it hard to maintain focus getting work done on these mobile areas? Yeah, sometimes. It the other hard thing is occasionally when you frequent a coffee shop when you're kind of a remote worker, you'll start to make friends that are also regulars at the coffee shop. And then you'll always want to be talking to them because you want to yeah. talk to your friends. <laughs> but um my the way that I do it to avoid that is honestly I jump around a lot to a bunch of different places to work at and I just put my headphones on and I get in the zone and once I'm like editing it's like there's very little that's gonna interrupt my my focus so I always speak when I'm on the road and I I just have a hard time sometimes getting work done because it's like work play work yeah. play work play trying to find that balance so I knew I had to ask you this question because you're full-time on the road, technically. Uh -huh. So I was like, how did you get it done? But now that you have an office, you have definitely a place to have quiet time now, right? 
Yeah. Yep. Definitely. It's a good place to get work done when I need to just really zone in and get some projects finished. So moving on, you hit a ton of national parks maybe two years ago now. Yep. Uh, all the ones in the lower 48 lived in a school bus. You were just keep going, going and going. What was it like <laughs> living with others on a bus for, I don't know how many months was it you were on the road? About, about three months. I was in that thing. Yeah. What was that experience um, like? It was so many things at once. <laughs> it was fun. It was hard. Um, emotionally draining. <laughs> uh, it's really hard to live. I lived in a bus, a 35 foot school bus with five of my friends. Uh, that's a lot of people in a pretty tight space. Uh, so no matter how good of friends you are, there's going to be, there's going to be a little bit of headbutting, yeah. to say the least. Um, and like, luckily it wasn't, it wasn't ever like terrible to be honest. It went probably as good as it could have gone. Um, but there were moments where it was like, it was just hard to be in there with so many, pe so many people and so many personalities. Cause one person wanted to do one thing that day and the other person wanted to do another. And it was just like, we all have to kind of be together cause we're in one vehicle and we can't, can't split up too much. That being said, I did do a lot of hitchhiking on that trip to get into parks when people were like working remotely in the bus. So I wow. was away probably more than some people. Yeah, that was my next question, man. How did you guys decide where you guys went? And if you guys had any downtime, were you guys always hiking on the road, traveling to the next park? But you mentioned there's people on the working remote. Yeah. So let me just break it down into like a, basically a, a day by day kind of deal. Um, essentially, what would happen is we would be in a park. Um, usually, we're in a park for like at most maybe three days usually it was like one or two um so in the morning there was four people on the bus that worked remotely the entire trip monday through friday and they would park the bus somewhere where they could have internet access like we had a a, a weeboo so as long as we had cellular uh, service we could get wi-fi on the bus so they would go somewhere where they had service which typically inside national parks you rarely have service um so they would park the bus somewhere in the morning where they had service. They could work all day. Me and my friend Bubba, who was the only other guy that didn't have like a remote job where we had to be on a computer at all times, uh, we would run or hike or hitchhike into the park because we wanted to shoot sunrise. Uh, and then usually after that, we would also hitchhike out back to the bus. We would hang out with the bus. A lot of times I would take naps because... I was never sleeping at night uh, or I would edit during the day. And then once everybody was done work around like four or five, we would all go into the park together and do something for sunset. And then usually after that, we would make dinner, usually around like nine, nine thirty. All together, we'd eat dinner and then we'd drive to the next park through the night. So basically any time we're driving to the next park, it was, it was nighttime. And, and usually me and my friend Bubba were the later shifts because they had to get up for work the next morning and we were able to take naps during the day. So, uh, a lot of late night driving. <laughs> Two things, man. I mean, first of all, I have a friend named Bubba. That's kind of cool. Second, that's cool. how was the hitchhiking, man? Weren't you afraid of like 
getting in the car with a stranger? <laughs> yeah, I, I've always been a little bit of a, I've always been comfortable just talking to new people. Um, but also the other thing is that I was with my friend. So when you're in like a pair, it makes it a, a lot less nerve wracking, I would say. Um, but yeah, most, most of the people that picked us up were never not nice. They're always super cool people it sometimes it took us a long time to get picked up because it's not as easy to hitchhike as it used to be supposedly i don't know i haven't been on this earth for as long as some people but that's what old people tell me that would pick us up they'd be like wow you guys are hitchhiking that used to be so easy but that anybody now doesn't pick you up yeah i mean i've seen a lot of hitchhiker hikers out in wyoming and off in the eastern sierras i I don't pick anybody up. I don't know. I get nervous, <laughs> but like, that's fair. It's just, it makes sense. But hitchhiking, I met a guy when I was in New Seminary, I was camping. He told me he had hitchhiked all the way from San Diego. First of all, let me set this back. He flew from the East coast to San oh, Diego. Wow. I think he dropped out of college something like that. Just wanted to climb. So he hitchhiked Epic. all the way to East Seminary from San Diego. Didn't even have a job lined up. He was applying God. As he got there, staying at this campsite with this foreign person wow. from out of the country, just to be in Yosemite to go climbing. That's so, such a that's such a climber and Yosemite pair kind of thing. <laughs> I yeah. feel like I've heard so many stories like that. <laughs> so when Words. I hear you, when I hear you hitchhiking, I mean, it is kudos to you for getting that courage. I mean, I know <laughs> if you do the Pacific Coast Trail, that you have to hitchhike sometimes. Yeah, but. So top national parks, top five national parks. Oh, thank you for not thank you for not asking my number one favorite. That's I hate answering that question because it's like, how do I choose? Uh, my top five in no particular order are uh, Yosemite's got to be on there. Just a fantastic, magnificent place. So epic. Um, Olympic National Park is another one that I really grown to love uh it's just very diverse like really cool rainforest there there's beautiful like almost tropical feeling waterfalls in the summer anyway and then there's also like hurricane ridge which is just like alaska kind of feeling mountains and it's epic um glacier national park is another one and a, a very popular favorite i would say for good reason it's gorgeous there just everywhere you turn it's amazing Grand Teton is always going to have a special yeah. place in my heart. I love that place a lot. It's a good one. Um, a lot of people are going to get mad at me, and I'm not going to say Yellowstone right now. Yellowstone is not in my top five. Sorry. <laughs> I've just It's probably because I've been there a lot. Um, but number five would probably be, oh, it's so hard. Maybe Great Sand Dunes. I love that park in... Colorado. I think it's so cool the juxtaposition between the sand dunes and the like fourteen or peaks behind it. It's awesome, bro. You're you're not even gonna include any of your your top parks in the top five. Oh, I didn't. You could you could potentially throw well any of them in there. They're kind of all tied in my heart. I don't have a particular order for Utah parks, but yeah, there's just it's probably because I go to, I go to them all the time, so it, they're not as up there in my head. But they are really cool. That makes sense. I mean, I don't have Yosemite as my number one. I mean, but there you go. Yeah, I go. Th- I go there all the time. So for me, yep. I'm like, it's just another park. That nah, it's yeah. not just another park. It's pretty cool. But like, 
I, I know what you mean. I didn't realize it was cool till like a couple years in. Yeah. yeah. But anywho, do you have any advice for photographers trying to break in to the outdoor event, outdoor adventure industry, trying to get work? I know you touched on it earlier by building yeah. portfolio and things like that, but just some mental challenges that they might have to push through. Yeah. I would say the other thing is um, at the beginning for me, I was like, and I know it's a common problem for in any creative industry is you're constantly comparing yourself to people. And a lot of times when you do that, you like get this, you get like this image of somebody that maybe you follow on Instagram in your head and it's not what they're like in person. They're probably super nice and you probably love to go shoot with them. So that's one of my recommendations is reach out to people and go shoot with them because a lot of times either number one, you're going to learn from them, which is awesome. And they're probably going to learn from you. Um, and you just get a new friend. And I think the community of photography is a really uh, exceptional space to be in, uh, to be able to talk with people that you can learn from and grow from. Right, man. I mean, Every time I meet up with a new photographer, I literally learn so many things that I didn't know before. Whether yeah. we're, the, we're at the same level, they're below me, they're above me. They just see things differently than the way I do. So, I mean, I yeah, take exactly. every bit of inspiration that I can get from others. Yep. But, and it's always it's always nice to have someone stand in a photo for you. If you're me, you need a little person in that big world. And it's nice to have an extra person around with her. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> I don't know. You're you're pretty fortunate out there in Utah to have such a large community of photographers and creatives. Definitely. I mean, in California, dude, yeah, there's photographers like in LA and San Francisco, yeah. but, but it's I just have a, a different different kind. Right? I have a hard I have a hard time finding photographers in the mountains that like to go over there. So a yeah. lot of times I'm going by myself or with my girlfriend. Uh-huh. So I might I don't know. You got me. You guys got me over there wanting to move to Utah because I see such a big Dude, community over there. It's a pretty good place to be if you're a photographer, that's for sure. So 2023, what is next for Taylor Dalton, TD cameraman? <laughs> next is um, hopefully some more international travel. I feel very well-versed in the United States. I've been to most of it. I haven't, the only state I haven't been to is Hawaii, which I am going to this year, which will be awesome. I'll kind of finish my, uh, United States tour, I guess. Uh, but yeah, I want to do more international travel because there's so many places out there to see and I'm wasting time if I'm not going to them as soon as I can. Can't wait to see that Taylor. Uh, one, is there anything else you would like to add to the listeners? today i don't think so it's been good good chatting it's been awesome so where can the people go to find more about you on socials all things like that uh basically i'm on instagram and tiktok those are my main platforms both of them are at td cameraman is my handle i'd love to see over there all right guys if you didn't hear that it's at td cameraman go follow this guy he is epic it's been crazy watching him go to all these different places post cool reels cool photos you're honestly missing out if you haven't seen his stuff. So go do that. If you want to follow me, I'm at the Nick Camp on every platform, post mountains, hikes, cool things like that, photos, videos. I'm going to follow the podcast, Nick Camp Podcast on all platforms, streaming everywhere. Make sure you go give this a subscribe if you're on YouTube or on Apple Podcast, Spotify. We'd love to give more information about all these people I'm bringing on. 
share their perspectives like Taylor today, just out there in the outdoor industry, doing their thing. And we really appreciate you listening today. And Taylor, appreciate you coming on, man. Thank you. It's been awesome.